Welcome to the Manager Material Podcast. We're going to chat about all the things that make you manager material. I'm your host, Erin Jackson. If you're already a Manager Material member, make sure to check out the podcast paper section in the community for the guide on this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome back. Today we have Allison, who is a member of the Amazon team. She started managing people 15 years ago, a little over 15 years ago. And so she has some really good experience both in the restaurant industry and then in tech uh, when it comes to what it means to manage people. And I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Welcome, Allison. Hi. How are you doing? Good to see you. I'm good. How are you? Been great. So tell us about you. Give us a little bit of background about who you are. Yeah. So, um, you know, right now I am a senior sales strategy manager at Eero, which is an Amazon device. Um, they were acquired in 2019. It's a mesh Wi-Fi system. Um, but uh, outside of that, I'm a mom of two. I have a girl named Sloan. She's five and a little boy, Lionel, just turned one in December. Um, my background, uh, you know, I went to started college at the Art Institute as an interior design major. Um, I decided that was something I loved more as a hobby versus a career. Um, I began taking all my core classes while I was figuring things out at Collin County. And then I transferred to the University of North Texas, where I switched majors two times. Um, So that fully sums up that I never really felt like I knew what I truly wanted to do during that time. (laughs) Um, As a creative, you know, I I just love doing things that were creative, but that doesn't always pay the bills. So on the side, I started waiting tables, bartending, doing bottle service, managing people, moved out of my parents' house when I was 17, learned a lot about having roommates, also learned that I couldn't rely on them. So I kept waiting tables so I could live on my own. And um, eventually my classes didn't line up with my work schedule. I ended up working and ending my college career. Um, And after meeting my now husband, I ended my service industry career, Um, had a few jobs that varied before landing a role with Amazon, but um, total I've worked across six different companies at Amazon Um, in a total of nine years. I've been leveled up twice in those roles. And I've had a couple roles in between my years at Amazon startups like Zomato and Uber Eats, but um, I have a very diverse background. Uh, so excited to dive into some questions with you and get into more of the roles that I've had. Awesome. You you mentioned at Amazon, they're kind of different companies with Amazon. A lot of people, I think, think Amazon's just this one big company. Can you give right. us some details about what you mean by that? Yeah. So, I mean, Amazon has a lot of different companies under its umbrella. Um, there's acquisitions like, you know, Woot, uh, Eero, Zappos in the past. Um, and then there's also um, Whole Foods, uh, Amazon Fashion, um, there's Amazon Alexa, there's Amazon Devices, which is the org I work under um, with Eero being a device. Um, also, what falls into that bucket is like Kindle, um, all the tablets, uh, Fire TV, um, so all those various different devices. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different orgs at Amazon, Amazon Web Services. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of businesses that I've worked across within that umbrella. It's really cool um, with Amazon because you can do a lot of different things at Amazon and learn about, it's like working, it's like starting over, but you're still working with for the same company. You get to oh, learn totally. all these new things, which is cool. And what's what I really like about working at Amazon is that um, across these different companies, there's so many similar qualities. So you can really transition to a role and pick up kind of where you left off almost, but in a different way. So for example, you know, if I go into a weekly business review meeting in one org, I might go to another org, but the formatting of it, the the setting, um, the narratives that you bring to the table, um, the conciseness and what you speak to is, is all replicated. And it's all kind of, I feel like, um, enabled by those leadership principles, um, if you've heard about them. <laughs> So let's dive into your current role. Talk us through your current role. What are you doing? Yeah. So um, right now I'm a senior sales strategy manager for Eero. Again, it's a mesh Wi-Fi system. So it enables your house to have perfect Wi-Fi connectivity. Um, Since I've had mine, I literally have maybe lost internet connection once. And it's because somebody cut our fiber line outside doing construction. (laughs) But luckily Eero has a backup system where I was able to connect to my hotspot through my phone. And, you know. Now I have perfect Wi-Fi again. So insert plug for Eero right there. Um, anyways, Eero was acquired in 2019. And 
I was kind of my first year really developing a, a BD playbook. So um, mechanisms and resources uh, to help our sales team enable productivity, um, understanding all the things that they needed to do when they onboarded, but also continued ongoing resources. And so it's like a living, breathing document. Um, it's constantly being updated by all teams, um, but it's essentially a place for the BD team to go and, um, and get all their questions answered that they need answered. I also helped with um, understanding our pricing guardrails and understanding our contract guardrails, um, basically driving efficiencies for the sales team and understanding the market, all the data behind it, helping with our operating planning. Um, but now I've kind of been leaning into more of a chief of staff function for our president of sales, marketing and design over the last year. And so all of my goals are focused around operational excellence increasing our productivity from a sales, marketing, and design perspective. I work very cross-functionally amongst key teams like product, our partner success team, um, our sales operations team. I'm basically that voice that kind of connects the gaps um, and looks for opportunity to, to solve. So chief of staff, that's a role that people often think of as a glorified admin, and it's 100% not the case, the way that it's typically designed. So what is the value add, the kind of the general value add of a, a chief of staff role in an organization? Yeah, so it's a pretty important function. Um, you know, I have to influence a lot of people who don't report to me, which is kind of challenging. Um, but overall, uh, some of the key things that I do that are outside of kind of that administrative task is just kind of diving deeper into solving problems that my manager can't get to basically and being able to make decisions on his behalf or proxy in a meeting or prep or debrief him for a really important call because i'm kind of like in his head i understand um, what he wants to get done and i'm an advocate for him in all of these settings um, but i'm also looking for opportunity pushing teams and um, you know if i see an opportunity that maybe he's not a part of i can then uh, help influence him or advocate for the team to help you know, change manage things that might be causing duplication that maybe he doesn't have direct insight into. And so it allows him to, you know, be at this higher level, but I come to him with things maybe that are a little bit more granular that he can't be involved with day to day, but I've, I, I understand the priority level for him. So I can help clearly effectively um, escalate things. Uh, so I'm kind of like that person that's in the field, kind of like, um, helping unblock things that he can't get to or that he is you know you know taking up time in executive meetings with um so yeah i think it provides a lot of value um, but being being able to be across all the different teams you can really identify again those opportunities and those gaps and and make him aware of some things that also he might not be privy to yeah absolutely you talked about influencing people that don't report to you you've been in roles where you've managed people but now you're in this role where you're influencing people that you don't perform it's manage totally different dynamic totally different beast what's made you successful and what what are the differences there yeah i think um being extremely organized but really it's like something that's completely controllable on my end that makes the world of difference so keeping up with action items um following up on those prepping things early being able to multitask is really important so like you know, adding the agenda and setting up the follow-up meeting at the end of a call since everyone's calendars get crazy, things like that. But I think also knowledge earns trust, whether you're managing people or you're managing others. Um, the more you know and the co more confident you are, the more people want to come to you. And so getting small wins early on so the team can see trust is being built and understanding how you can help someone solve a problem but then spearheading solutions in those areas can really earn trust. And I think that goes a long way. Um, there's been a lot of uh, roles where I've entered and it seems like there's a lot of change happening. Either, you know, you're prepping for an IPO or you just you just got bought and you're trying to um, adopt things uh, by the company who, who acquired you or you're a really, uh, you know, mature business. I've seen kind of it all, but in those roles when you get in you don't really know anything yet so fact finding and understanding where things are being duplicated um, those small wins cleaning those up early can really kind of help build that foundation of like wow this person really gets my team and they really want to help improve and so i'm going to lean into that it's amazing your your role you started at 
at a younger age being a manager. Do you remember what age exactly you were when you first started managing people? Yeah, I was 18, um, but I, I was in the service industry. It's a little bit different than managing people in a corporate environment, um, but there are a lot of things that I've taken from my experiences there that have translated into my experiences today. So let's talk about that. What are the main differences between managing people in the restaurant industry and in the tech world, the corporate world? Um, I don't want to say that I was an unethical manager ever, but I feel like, you know, there's definitely more of a handbook in the corporate world versus being in the service industry as far as, and, and also the time in which I managed was a little bit different. Um, I think there's a, a lot more ability to kind of have conversations with people. It's just, you're serving different audiences. So my customer isn't a person coming in and having a drink and making a casual conversation with me. My customer is now, you know, a mom at home who's going to order things off of Amazon or, um, you know, a, a teenager who's going to purchase something for school. Um, so I, I think my audiences are a little bit different, but um, overall, you know, you, you need to maintain a sense of diversity, um, a sense of empathy and a sense of getting things done. So let's get into management about management in tech. So you moved into the corporate world and quickly became a manager. So what was that run like? How did you become a manager so quickly? And walk us through managing in tech. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I want to say, you know, in the tech industry, a lot of things are changing all the time. I, I'm sure you could say actually what I'm about to say about any industry, but I think with the tech industry, especially I would double down on this message. Um, and I've spent a majority of my life in the tech industry, so maybe I'm a little biased. Um, but there are a lot of tools available to help develop someone in the tech industry. Like you have to be knowledgeable and you have to be willing to network. I'm always willing to be learning. I'm always you know, I think you should always be interviewing too after, a, you know, a year in a role because who knows how things are changing out there. You want to feel good about yourself and want to feel good about the path you're on. Um, so I think always be learning, always be knowledgeable, always network. Uh, getting into what kind of got me started on this manager path, um, you know, I started my role at Amazon Local as a outside sales rep. Um, Amazon Local uh, was a kind of daily deal website for Amazon shoppers. So very similar to like a Groupon or Living Social Experience. Um, we had a very big sales org across, you know, Texas, Seattle, New York, other offices as well. And um, I think early on, I just, you know, really knew what the customers in my territory liked. Um, my territory just happened to be the city that I grew up in. And so I really understood the market and understood what deals would do well. Um, based on that, but also based on data. Um, and I think that I learned early on to rely on data to understand how to be even better. So um, when I was an individual contributor, I was always motivated by like what I could do. I was always focused on how I could deliver, over deliver and do it faster. And as I started to do it faster, I had other people asking me, you know, what I was doing or how my deal did so well or how I was signing so many merchants in a short period of time. And I helped kind of coach and develop those individuals around me. And eventually that was, a, that was recognized and I became a team lead. Um, as a team lead, I had three to four sales representatives who I coached ongoing every quarter. They rotated and we measured the success of my coaching based off of their results. Um, but I also was still responsible for my own goal and, um, you know, very quickly then about like six months later after doing that, I was put into a people managing role after I leveled up, um, which is another thing that, you know, if for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with that term leveling up, there's different levels and then there's different roles at Amazon and that's, that's can be said across other companies as well, but um, we can get into more of that later, but I essentially got promoted <laughs> and then I became a manager. Um, uh, and then I learned basically that delivering results looked a little different. Um, it looked like delivering through others. So when I was always focused on how I could deliver, over deliver, do it faster, get my team to do that. Um, I needed to know that like, if I hired people, then they needed to raise the bar. They needed to be smarter than me or smarter than the last person I hired, um, be, a, be a piece to my team's puzzle. Um, people I could help coach and develop and, and take them to that next level. Because when they won, 
we won, the business won, in the end that makes me win. And so that's the difference between being an individual contributor and a manager is the differences in winning, but they can feel just as good, if not more rewarding when you're doing it through someone else, you can see their journey and how they progress and that, and know that, you know, you help them do that. And that's very rewarding. That's my favorite part about being a manager. I actually got goosebumps when you were talking about it, just because I, I, <laughs> I know the, the feeling having lived it. So looking back in that particular situation, what would you, if anything, have done differently knowing what you know today about managing people? Yeah. Um, I would try, I wouldn't try to take the same thing to another business, I guess. Um, you can't do the same things over and over and get the same results because not every business or every person is the same. Um, you have to be open to to different personalities, to different strengths, <clears throat> to different goals. You know, you could have one business that has a very transactional sales process, and then you go into another that's like, oh, it's like a 12-month sales cycle. And guess what? You're not going to be able to do the same things you did at the other business, this business all the time. Um, and I remember when I went from Amazon to Uber Eats, um, I struggled with being like really comfortable in the uncomfort, in the uncomfortable. So like I was, it wasn't that I needed to forget everything I learned at Amazon or not use it, but I'd been there for so long that that's what was familiar to me. And just because Uber Eats did things differently didn't mean that it was the wrong way to do it. But I just needed to be able to let go of some of that thinking so I could learn and absorb the best practices that Uber Eats had to offer and lean into some of those things that they did really well differently than Amazon. And I think that that, that was a blocker for me at the time. But once I learned to let that go, I was able to really move the needle. And so, yeah, I think that's that's what I would have done differently is not try to take some of the, th the same exact things to a, a completely different business. So going into, while Uber Eats is a ginormous, I mean, it's within Uber, it's a big company. Yeah. That can be misleading to some people coming from from a company like an, an Amazon that's more stood up sophistication wise and process wise going into an organization like that where there is that lacking of sophistication can be very jarring for people and you've got to go into a totally different mode so how did you go into there going okay i've got to now instill and and actually implement some of these things that don't exist today like they yeah. would have at Amazon. Yeah, I think I had to take myself back to when I first started at Amazon. Like I became an expert. Well, I became what I thought was an expert at Amazon, you know, by the end of my, my first couple of years there. Um, and it reminded me that I wasn't always that expert then, but I saw opportunity and I ran toward it because I knew that when there was opportunity, there was something to do, something to fix, something to solve. And and then I kind of like, as you stop seeing those opportunities, maybe it's not as motivating anymore. Um, so I looked at it as an opportunity to be challenged, motivated and become an expert of Uber Eats. Like, you know, it leaned into that more of, okay, well, I wasn't an expert at Amazon. I'm not an expert at Uber Eats. What did I do at Amazon that led me to where I got? I looked for that opportunity. I ran toward it. So that's exactly what I did at Uber Eats. And, um, you know, it, it was definitely a very different role and different outcome, but I learned a lot from it and I would not change anything about the path that I had gone there or um, the actions that I took to get there because it, it was a big learning for me and it really helped me um, in other roles. Environment plays such a big part in our ability to manage and our effectiveness as a manager. What have you seen from those differences between like a place like Uber Eats and an Amazon in your ability to manage? Like, are there things where stressors brought out different parts about you? Was it, were you a different manager essentially in those different environments? Yeah, I was. And I'm kind of trying to think, <laughs> I know it wasn't that long ago, to be honest. Um, but, you know, with COVID, everything's so different now being remote. I mean, like I've been remote for the last four years, even before COVID happened. But it's just different when you don't really have that option to go into an office. Um, so going back to my time at Uber, though, I had two very different scopes within my role. Um, like one was focused on our inbound team and understanding gaps in our sales funnel and in our product and learning from those two data points and refocusing our roadmap to support 
um, more restaurants coming out of data from that funnel. Um, I, I did a lot of that work, but then I also managed a contingent workforce that was focused on outbound sales. And because they were like a contingent workforce, they, they couldn't sit directly in our offices. So we had two offices. We had like our home office for our full-time employees. And then we had WeWork spaces for anybody who was a, a contingent worker, um, which is a contractor. And um, yeah, it was two very different vibes. Talking about contract workers, there a lot of companies use, you know, third-party groups, like a Kelly Services type thing where you're going out and getting these 1099s. They're not W-2 employees and you have to manage both. What is the, what do you, would you say are kind of the biggest differences other than the physical environment, like where they were sitting and managing those, those two different groups of people and how you were able to effectively manage them? Where I'm going with this one is managing 1099s like there are certain things you can and cannot do and like oh yeah you know performance reviews um how you write them up all of that stuff is can be a little bit different so giving them because yeah. if these are baby managers managing this for the first time like what would they need to know if they're now managing both of those groups yeah um so I think that when you're working with contractors, you have to be very careful from a legal perspective on what is shared and how you performance manage. Um, so having things set up, uh, documented and approved by you know legal and HR and all those teams is very important. I think especially when it comes to hiring roles and responsibilities, um, access to tools, and also you know performance management. Worst case, you have to end someone's contract early. All of those things need to be outlined and documented by a legal team and by HR and by other members of the business before onboarding someone. Um, you know, maybe even there's mechanisms in place like Slack as a tool for chatting or getting caught up on things or Salesforce that both a contractor and a full-time employee need access to, but maybe they're from a legal perspective, not able to see each other's information or, or have like full access, for example. So I think, you know, it's very, um, it, it's it's really great when you get to work with contractors because you get, you know, to deliver on a short-term project very quickly or um, without like the the support of a full-time employee because you know it's going to be a short-term project, for example, or you're trying to get you're trying to focus this team on one part, one channel um, specifically, like inbounds or um, like customer service, a uh, very specific part of the business that's different from other parts. And I think that that was one, um, a, a challenge at Uber Eats is because we had, you know, we had contractors and we had an outbound sales team. And so distinguishing the difference between those two was very important and understanding how to performance manage that group versus full-time employees was different, what people had access to benefits wise. In that situation, were y'all ever bringing people on? Like if they came in through the contractor route, were they able to transition to a full-time? Yes. And I can't remember what I said in one of the last responses, but I wanted to get back to that. Yes. Because if somebody was raising the bar and performing very well um, and exceeding their goals, you know, we absolutely wanted to convert them to a full-time employee. So we had those opportunities available. We would open up requisitions and as we would kind of get towards the end of someone's contract or those opportunities came about we would interview people who were interested um contractors who were interested in the roles that we had available even roles outside of of sales too you know we had some contractors who were more data driven and more data focused and maybe wanted to get into sales ops or we had um, contractors who were taking kind of a team lead role within their own team who you know a team lead role opens maybe they want to do that instead so so yes we were very encouraging about that Awesome. When it comes to your career, talking about you know, these contractors moving around in your, in your career, your career, like so many people, is not this linear right up a right up a ladder. And you've gone from managing people to not managing people to you mentioned the different companies within Amazon. What have been some of the key milestones and the pivots that you've made? Why has that been impactful to your career to not do this ladder within one company? Yeah, so um, I'm kind of of the, again, always be learning. And so eventually I would love to, you know, 
have my own business one day or be an executive. And so learning all of those different pieces of the business is really important to me. And so that's kind of the story that I tell when I am talking to people about the roles that I've had. I want to learn a little bit of everything so that I can manage a business. Um, and you learn a lot of different things from sales. That's a great foundation, but you also learn a lot from these other teams as well. So some of the pivots that I've had that have been most impactful to me on a career level have been switching from IC to manager, from sales to sales ops, um, and from managing people to having to hold managers accountable. Um, those have been like the professional pivots that were meaningful. And then on a personal perspective, I think losing my dad um, a few years ago uh, to heart problems and, you know, Unfortunately, I've also had some team members that I've lost around me um, to unfortunate accidents, but also um, lost in the sense of also moving on to another role or then moving on to another role as well um, and having kids. It's a totally different work-life balance with each of those things. Um, you know, when you lose someone that's really close to you, it kind of it sucks that it sometimes takes this to understand, but you uh, you develop like a sense of of what matters to you and what doesn't. And so it's really kind of puts things into perspective in a professional world. You know, if you're losing someone and then the people around you aren't empathetic to that, it really kind of makes you rethink, you know, who you're surrounding yourself with, even from a professional stance. Um, so I think those things have been really impactful to my career in terms of understanding what to lose sleep over at night and where to end my day. I could work, you know, 12 hour days every day and still not get the work done. And it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I don't know how to be productive. I can, I'm a morning person and I can wake up at, you know, 5 a.m. and knock out my whole day's worth of work in about four hours if I wanted to, because that's just how I work. But if I wanted to work 12 hour days, that'd be like working, you know, like a month <laughs> in a week for me. And so I think, you know, I have to understand what's going to be left over for tomorrow. And that's where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm an executor. And so if there's a lot of things happening that are out of my control, and I get that a lot in the role that I'm in, you know, I, I can control what I can control. But ultimately, if other people are responsible for certain deliverables, that's, I can only remind them or, you know, be a part of helping them for so long before it's up to them too. And so, um, you know, even if I have a to-do list, and it's something as simple as like, you know, restructure XYZ report in this dashboard or send out recap of our monthly build um, meeting. You know, even if it's something smaller like that, if I make that on a list and check it off, it, it checks that execution piece for me so I can worry about the bigger stuff. I can feel accomplished, but then also not be worried at the same time because I know I'm on the right track. So it, you talked about the 12 hours and in, in your family. A lot of people, you have a little bit different, and I've seen you in action, so I know that you are a high executor. Some people work those 12 hours because they're not working strategically, and um, and so and maybe they're in the wrong role at that point. But for you, making that call to say, hey, I'm done, I'm going to my family, have you seen balancing more toward having a more balanced life? Has that impacted your career growth in the least? Because a lot of people feel like they have to kill themselves to work, work, work in order to actually move up in their career. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've been a part of some some roles where maybe the, the team wasn't right for me. I think you kind of have to decide what's right for you and be really confident about that decision. Um, you know, uh, I think that it's it's challenging because I've been in some roles where I've where I feel like I haven't given it my all, but I don't think that had anything to do with my personal life, to be honest. And then I've been in roles where like my personal life is crazy and I've just kept going um, and I've and I've gotten that promotion. And so I really think it's about how you handle the situation and what you want um, out of the opportunity because you. it also takes having the right leaders as well. Like my manager right now, she, she does believe, I mean, the work-life balance conversation is always tricky, but she is not somebody who, when she sends an email at 3 a.m., she expects a response. And I know that like sometimes when you operate that way as a leader, 
your team might think, oh, well, then I need to operate that way too. Like she sent an email at 3 a.m. I'm going to respond at 3 a.m. Like she's very clear about when things are urgent and when things aren't. And I think that's really helpful. Um, yeah, a lot of roles in the tech industry can be ambiguous and understanding what your manager, like, I don't know, you, you can drive on the same road all day um, and be doing a really great job driving on that road. But then if something happens that you weren't expecting and you don't have that calibration with your leader, you could then continue driving down the wrong road versus going down a different road and really being able to own and execute on something. And so I think having an open door as a manager for that calibration is really helpful when it comes to work-life balance because my manager doesn't have to talk to me every single week. Um, we have like a one-on-one -on -one document where she could go in and read my updates, but every one-on-one -on -one I do have questions that it would be helpful to have her perspective on. And so if I bring that to the table, it's nice to know that she's going to acknowledge that whether we have our one-on-one -on -one or not. So it's in that document. She can go to it if we miss our one-on-one -on -one and help me. So being able to identify like how you work and how your team works and then being able to work against that is really helpful in terms of finding that balance. You know, if you don't like being micromanaged, then you're, and you communicate that to your boss and your boss lets off a little bit, maybe you still need that calibration though. Um, but she knows that you don't like being micromanaged, so she's not going to do that. She's just going to have that one-on-one -on -one with you. And if you need more time, she's going to wait for you to, to tell you that you need more time. So, um, I don't know if that answered the question. No, that was great. Oh, I love, I love you. <laughs> I love the fact that you talked about the leaders. Um, you mentioned ambiguity. There's so much ambiguity in business, especially tech. How have you navigated that ambiguity? when it's not there? Is that something where you decided, okay, I need to leave the organization? I mean, you talk about one-on-ones, but like tremendous ambiguity, you know, the lanes are not clear. Yeah. I think you need to have those conversations. Um, and that's where, like from a personal perspective, like losing my dad and seeing some team members move on from roles because they weren't, they were just so like caught up in everything and so in the weeds with feeling a certain type of way that they just needed to get out of that space. They never spoke up until, I don't even know if they spoke up in their exit interviews, you know, they just left. So I think moments like that, um, being able to understand that like, maybe the worst someone can say is no and kind of rolling with that attitude of like, I'm just going to ask and if I don't see any red flags, I'll commit, you know? And so I think that it's the same thing. Um, you have to ask for opportunities. You have to ask the tough questions to get to that next level or to get to that next step. And personally, I don't see opportunity if there's no path for me. So, you know, if I'm working really hard, what am I working towards? Is it a financial goal? Is it a major milestone for my career? Is it a title? What am I, identify what you're working for and then um, see if there's a path to get there with your manager. And I feel like you'll know in the conversation if it's really a path or not based on how deep you go with it. And there's always a way to frame the conversation to where you don't, you know, there's like certain politics in corporate worlds, right? Where you, where you don't wanna say too much because you wanna get a target on your back, but there's ways to go about these conversations early on to set the stage in a new role of like every quarter, I would like to have a career conversation and talk about my progress in X, Y, Z. There's ways to set yourself up for that. And you can talk to your manager and say like, do you have um, a certain way that you would like to have this meeting or should I bring it to the table? You know, like take that bias because no one's going to advocate for you more than yourself in those situations. And so, if you don't see a path for yourself and you've asked all the questions, then maybe it is time to move on. Throughout your career, you've seen a lot of people move into management. What do you feel like has made that, like how, what what gets in their way of being success, successful for, with their team and what makes them successful? Oh, it's really hard because your scope is so new. You become the person that people go to, even if it's to make a decision or even with their problems, like it can be a lot. 
And so trusting your team and learning their strengths and learning what to lean into is really important because I feel like when you're a new manager, you need to delegate according to those. I think if there's one thing I had to share that's that's really helpful, it's to learn how to delegate according to strengths. Have you, <clears throat> have you seen where they have gone off track, like some kind of worst case scenario situations with new managers? Yeah. I mean, there's some new managers that come in and they just want to, I feel like, talk at their team, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, coming into a meeting and you, you just talk, 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 and you feel like you're like speaking into a void almost. Um, so they're not coachable, really. Um, they don't delegate enough or they don't delegate according to strengths, learn to career paths. They don't take the time to develop those around them, which can become demotivating to, you know, um, they stop learning. And so, you don't just because you got to this position doesn't mean you now aren't responsible for anything. You actually have more responsibility. Like you have to make, you have to help them make decisions. You have to help them remove blockers. You also have to help them get to their next level. You have to be there for them if they need your support or if an emergency happens in their family, you know, um, but that doesn't mean you don't, you don't, get to do anything. You have to be their support mechanism and deliver for your team. So you have to understand again, that you are not always right. You got to be coachable. You got to, you got to hear more from others, listen more, be a better learner. And if you don't, if you're not getting um, the type of development that you need, again, there's a lot of tools and resources online. There's a lot of mentors out there even if you don't get to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, maybe you have a leader um, or an inspirational person who you watch their videos every day um, or a, a boss from a past job or even somebody within the company that you've never even met before, they're your mentor or read a book, get a different perspective and be inspiring and help them help your team get to where they need to be. And I feel like those who get in the way of that are those who don't really have like a team player mentality. What do you say to new managers that get into a role and they're looking for the company to develop them and there's just nothing? There's no one coming alongside them. There's no HR trainings. There's nothing to support them. What do you say to those people? Um, I would say either try to create those resources yourself like maybe they don't exist because no one's ever done them before or because the business is at a place where they didn't have the resources to create what you were hoping for and so that's an opportunity for you depending on your role um or maybe it's an opportunity for you to address with the business as a whole and somebody else does the work to to make that happen um but again there's nothing there's nothing more demotivating than getting really excited about an opportunity and then coming into nothing. I would say that you either help create those types of resources and tools, bring them up, or maybe it wasn't the right role for you, to be honest. Um, it does take a certain level of ownership and bias to move to that next level, but it also takes people developing you. Like you can be the most senior leader in the world, but if no one's helping you understand the business, and what's truly important right off the bat, then I don't know, that's kind of a red flag for me, to be honest. It, it says that maybe they weren't considering things before they opened this headcount. You know, if you're trying to grow a team and scale a team, then um, I feel like those things should be mentioned early on of like, you know, we're still working to do X, Y, Z. Um, we could really use your help with that or so-and-so's team is gonna handle that when the time is right, you know, just kind of, and I think if you're wanting those things, asking those things in your interview, do you have those resources? Because if that's something you're going to get frustrated by right off the bat, it's something you can easily ask um, in an interview. Mm, that's a really good point. And unfortunately, it is incredibly prevalent that their company is promoting people into stretch roles from a functional standpoint and not being given the support that they need. Um, especially on the management side of things. And so um, going out and developing yourself, I love that you your kind of common theme is a continuous development, continuously learning and knowing that, yes, the company should to some degree support you and develop you because if they don't, like you said, it's a red flag and that could be a, an indication of a lack of sophistication around the whole organization. But you're never going to get everything from a company and to go out and develop your 
develop yourself through external resources is always going to be helpful. Like you mentioned the going to finding the mentor. Yes. And like, to be honest, it takes you out of the day to day with those challenges and gives you that different perspective. Um, you know, like I, I haven't, you know, at, at Uber Eats, um, you came in and you did a really great strengths finding session um, with, with me and my team and other teams. And it was very impactful to me. Um, if I tried to, like, I really haven't had anybody kind of develop me that impactfully in since that happened, to be honest. And so while I've been getting developed along the way, you know, I haven't had a resource outside of Amazon or outside of my company along the way with me in quite some time. And when you have conversations like that with a fresh perspective, it really either validates everything you're thinking for those those periods of time, or it validates that like you're being a bit neurotic and you need to turn it down a bit, you know? And so, um, <laughs> so I think, you know, on the side of, you know, agreeing, it's helpful to have a mentor who can then help you understand what next steps to take from a professional stance instead of letting the in the moment emotions get the best of you. Um, and I think that can happen a lot when you're a new manager. Um, you know, you have expectations of, of folks and then they come in and maybe they meet your expectations or maybe they don't. But how do you handle that situation when they don't? Do you let them make the mistake and coach them for the next time? Or do you you know, let those emotions get the best of you and try to performance manage right away. That could really rub someone the wrong way. But maybe if you were kind of looking at outside resources of how to handle the situation, you know, or even something as little as like counting to 10 and taking a deep breath and then having the conversation, you know, depending on which route you want to go, I'd argue that just waiting even just a few seconds before having a reaction is beneficial for you and for your team. I love accounts to 10, even if you're <laughs> nervous and I actually have a, I'm so thankful we have a, a, a therapist coming on to the podcast in a couple of weeks to help talk through some of those things, that emotional self-regulation, because it is a yeah. big um, blocker for a lot of managers. Yeah. Having gotten the, the opportunity to work with you over a longer period of time, I've seen how much that environment has made you, has set you up for success, but also how it is created additional stress um, in conversations that we've had about maybe a lack of sophistication from a manager or a lack of sophistication from the organization. And you've done a really good job of, of being self-aware and saying, okay, what is serving me? What is serving my team? What is not serving me? What is not serving my team? And you have run with it. And that is not always the case when I work with managers. They'll get feedback or they'll be in an environment and they kind of get this victim mentality and you can absolutely do that. That is totally your right to do that, but it's ultimately going to be a disservice to yourself and your team. Agreed. And and you can kind of need to learn what to filter out. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, it, it can be really challenging to do that when you're in the moment. Super hard because you're, you're – um, your lid is flipped essentially all the time. Mm -hmm. You're in this – I always say when I work with managers, you, you have a scale of 1 to 10 – and you, let's say, normal for emotional non-stress environment is like a, you're at a two to three and something stressful happens and you might pop up to a five or a six. But if your environment is so chaotic, either personally or professionally or both, and you're operating at like a six or seven and something crazy comes along, you're at a nine, ten. And so you are not operating in a way that is effective for your team. And I know that I personally live that. And I was reacting to things incorrectly because I was at that hype. You're in mm -hmm. fight or flight all the totally. time. Your cortisol levels are incredibly high. I'm getting into this, the psychology <laughs> behind it, but you cannot live that way. You cannot, that can, that's not a sustainable place to be. Totally. And, um, and Amazon actually, they don't have this leadership principle anymore, but going back to leadership principles back in the day, they had one vocally self-critical. And, you know, I think that, I, being a really reflective person in general, and I sometimes overanalyze situations, you know, going into past situations, maybe, you know, vulnerability and empathy are good, but when you're a manager, you also kind of have to 
it's kind of like that fine line of being someone's friend versus being their boss. Same with vulnerability. You have to kind of understand, and I know you talked about this in a previous podcast, but it really resonated with me of finding that line between sharing versus oversharing, especially when you're with somebody who is a direct report or, you know, just anybody really. Um, you don't want to overshare, but you do want to get your point across or you want to empathize with somebody. And I think that that's where vocally self-critical really got me in the past because not every not every organization like Amazon is is kind of willing to have that vulnerability and accept the fact that you're being critical of yourself as well. It, it kind of just in some organizations gives a viewpoint of maybe that person's not confident, but that's not the message that vocally self-critical is supposed to really send. It's supposed to be like acknowledging that maybe you're not always in the right. Um, not necessarily like, well, everything I do is wrong, you know? And so uh, just a different perspective, but I think that that's, that's ultimately what drives a really great manager's confidence, but um, in multiple different areas. I love my favorite person to talk about vulnerability is Brene Brown. Um, yeah. And a lot of people, I'm continually shocked at how many people still don't know her, know her and her studies and her research. And it's, I'm such a data person and I love that she has spent countless thousands, millions, probably hours um, of, of research with her team. And my favorite podcast that I've listened to with her is on how I built this. It's their one of their summit where they did an interview with her. And I recommend everyone listen to this, but she talks about, and she has some great uh, YouTube um, videos, some TED talks about vulnerability as well. But that particular podcast, she goes into what that looks like in action and what vulnerability really is with teams and transparency, because that's a buzzword you hear a lot in businesses, vulnerability, transparency. But what does that actually mean? And I think Brene does a really good job of of diving into that topic. Yeah, and I, I agree. And for anybody who doesn't know her, definitely check her out. Um, I think, you know, the community that you're creating is a really great resource as well, because I was I was telling um, some people on my team about your podcast, actually. And I was saying, you know, if you've ever wanted to take the time to read these books, you know, out there, she, she basically does reads the books for you and takes takes away all the key takeaways that you'd want to know and puts them in one place. Um, and I find that to be so true. You have really leaned into a lot of impressive, not only just leaders in the workplace, but also women, females. And so I think that's really amazing if you don't have like a mentor within your own team or someone that you've networked with before in the past that you lean into um, creating communities like yours and um, and sharing more podcasts and videos, things like that can be just as impactful, if not more impactful than having a dedicated mentor. Um, so there's a lot, again, a lot of tools and resources out there, not only if you're in the tech world, but also outside. Yeah, and having different perspectives is really good. I always try to recommend getting a mentor from a functional perspective because a lot of people are afraid to ask questions internally, and I totally get that because you wanna, yeah. you wanna say, you wanna prove that you're right for the role, but you're also potentially not seeing your own corners because you haven't experienced that before. And so finding right. someone, you know, that's been a sales manager before you to ask those questions and say, hey, I'm I'm working on a situation where you don't have any sense of fear. You can just be vulnerable mm -hmm. in that set sense. And then you don't have to worry about asking your manager at that point. Yeah, totally. 100%. So from your perspective, what's the one thing that makes you make someone manager material? Uh, so number one is just making sure that you are confident. Um, it's a trick kind of because it's like the number one thing you need, but you also need it in three areas. You need to be confident in your decision making. You need to be confident in your experience and you need to be confident in your own abilities. Um, as someone who started off bartending, right? I never thought with no college degree, I'd spend nine years of my career at Amazon. But like, I'm confident that I needed to do that to get where I am today. I know it sounds cliche, but I still, again, I still use some of those abilities that I had bartending in my sales and marketing roles today. Uh, Experience-wise, like I mentioned, I had pivots and I've 
you know, lost some people I've worked with. I've also been laid off twice from roles where my performance was outstanding. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the business. And then I was in leader posi leadership positions following that, where my team had a layoff, but I wasn't impacted. It was one of the toughest experiences I've ever had, but like all of those experiences had to happen. So again, sounds cliche, but each experience builds new backbone. It's what you do with those experiences afterwards. Do you let yourself get down and not land that next role? Or do you push yourself and say, this is an opportunity for me to revamp my brand and really apply for the roles that I want to apply for? Um, so it's really about what you do with those moments um, and pushing through. It's, it's impressive to see what each hardship can do for someone's long-term career growth. Um, whether that's at a personal level or a professional level. And I just think throughout that, having the confidence is what you need to get through those moments, but to also make you a rock star. There is a book, a great book called Grit. And you, to me, embody that book. Like you, when I think oh, about I a person that, that has <laughs> grit and has picked themselves back up and pushed through things that adversity has come things that were totally outside of your control over and over and over again, you have really dug in and kept going. And that resilience is really impressive. So that's another great book for people if they haven't read it. Um, I love Thank you. I, I would also say, um, you know, if, if somebody hasn't taken the Strengths Finders course, where you get to figure out what your strengths really are, um, or whether you have or haven't, either way, um, just understanding your team's strengths can go a really long way, not just for the productivity of your team, but also from a mental stance. You know, when I talked about confidence, there's there's individuals out there who might have strengths that are different from yours. And that could mean that you judged in a certain way. But if you understand their strengths, if you understand maybe why they did what they did, it can change your perspective. And so again, I just think understanding your team and, and that confidence is key because it can really change how you have a conversation with somebody and really impact the next steps of where your team is headed. For all the resources we've talked about today, I will drop those in the podcast notes along with the link to Allison's LinkedIn profile. So if you want to connect with her, follow her there and learn more, a little bit more about her career and kind of her career progression, you can do so there. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really great conversation and there's a lot of good gems in there for managers to pick up from, especially those that are new in management, um, because you are truly a great example of what messiness careers look like. They're not perfect. Management is not perfect. And you've lived and breathed it. And you have some really great learnings that you've put into practice over time that you've said, okay, this is what works. And I'm thank you for sharing those with everybody. Of course. Yeah. I'm really excited about your community that you're building. Um, very passionate about everything that you help drive. And I'm really excited to hear the podcast back. <laughs>